All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we'll start. Uh, so if you're in the Pew Bible, page 1149 and 1150 is where we'll be today. 2 Corinthians. Um, Do I reflect God's love by gracious giving? A couple weeks ago, I, told, I gave you a homework assignment to look up someone in church history or in God's word to motivate you to give graciously. And I, some of you may have looked up Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, uh, 66 years ago, uh, was killed by the Aka Indians in South America. And we know his story. But he said... Um, and wrote uh, before he died, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. And he's helping us to understand how important it is to use what we cannot keep to help others to gain what they cannot lose. Or another way that this text would match, to give what you cannot keep to help, uh, to help those who are God's people. And uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are some of the most full um, scriptures about gracious giving. We looked uh, last time at verse, uh, the first part of chapter 8. Now we will uh, start in verse 16 and look down to verse uh, 24. So 16 to 24. We just read 9, 1 to 8. We'll get to that uh, in the conclusion of our message. But uh, the first point is from 16 to 24. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother, who is famous among all the churches, for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches uh, to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show us uh, to show our goodwill. Verse 20. We take this uh, course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are uh, messengers of the church, churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you uh, to these men. Just switched my microphone on, guys. Sorry. All right. 2 Corinthians 8, 16 to 24. Uh, there's a lot of words there. And if you read it the first time, you're like, okay, so what is he, who is he talking about? He takes about two verses to explain uh, a, a different person, okay? So roughly two verses per person, and he's talking about this team that is going to, he's sending uh, from Paul to the Corinthians, and we have already seen Titus before, uh, back in chapter 7, and uh, trusted by Paul. Titus likely the leader, because he's only the one, only one uh, given a name. Uh, here, uh, that it is Titus who is the leader, even though maybe personality-wise or giftedness, he's not the uh, obvious leader, uh, but Titus is the one who has, let's see why Titus is chosen, verse 16, but thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care 
that I have for you. So some, Paul is sending someone to the Corinthians that has the same care that he has uh, for them. And uh, it's, he, t- Titus is most, most trusted. So why do we need this passage of Scripture? This is a lengthy passage today. We need this passage because we still need motivation to reflect our God's gracious giving. Jim Elliott's wife survived him, and she wrote probably uh, after his passing, and sometimes she wrote a couple books for us to read. Uh, One of her quotes is here on the left side of your screen. To me, a lady is not frilly, uh, florny, flippant, frivolous, and fluffed-brained. Okay, that's a pretty, uh, pretty, uh, quite alliterated, we'll give her that. And uh, talking pretty much about external appearance. Um, very, very outwardly showy, okay? A lady is not these things, but she is gentle, she is gracious, she is godly, and she is giving. Gentleness and graciousness and godliness and giving aren't necessarily showy. You can be these ladies and men, as we learn from her um, statement here, to be these things privately. I chose this because it links us with what I uh, said about uh, Jesus having a gentle and lowly heart, and how gentleness and graciousness and godliness is linked to our giving. The most Godly people on the planet reflect God most in their giving. Not in their leading large ministries, not in their um, impressive feats of uh, writing or speaking um, or in their bank accounts or what cars they drive. This is how the world measures success. How does God measure success? Well, according to 2 Corinthians, God measures success about how much we're pleasing the Lord. Are we pleasing the Lord? And I think he's going to tell us throughout this book of 2 Corinthians, what does life look like that pleases God alone? And obviously, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is about how we give. How we give generously, how we give graciously, and it's all about reflecting God's gracious giving. See, God saved us so that we wouldn't be greedy, hoarding, calculating, reluctant givers. Oh, I have to. Instead, I get to. I get to write the check every Sunday morning. I get to put it in the box. I get to look around and see if there are any people and talk and see if there are anybody that has a need that I can meet financially and some of you that don't have financial means, but you have a lot of energy, you need to be seeing who in, your, in our church you can help with your work. There are people around that need help. And if you can't financially give, maybe you can say, hey, I'll help you with something around your house. You need your garage clean? Uh, the leaves are probably done now. Um, your basement? You need some help moving things. You want to just go and we'll... Some people that live by themselves, they just want a friend to talk to and go and sit and talk with someone uh, who is lonely. We all have things that other people need, and in a church, we connect every 
Wednesday and Sunday, and we need to be in tune with people around us that have needs. So we need this because we all need to reflect. All of us need to reflect, not just those who have um, a lot of money in the bank or a lot of extra resources, but we all need to reflect God's gracious giving if we are believers. If you're not a believer, be a recipient of God's gracious gift this Christmas season, and then you can start reflecting him for his glory. All right, so the first point is let godly leaders see your love. I thought we were supposed to give in private, though. Aren't we supposed to just give in private in all of our giving? Even our right hand should know what our left hand is doing. Um, yes, we are, according to Jesus. But here, Jesus in Luke 6, 38 says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And we'll see uh, more of this truth from Luke 6 in our second uh, point uh, this morning. But what he is leading the Corinthians to do is verse 24. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So I'm going to send you these men, and as they accept your gift, I told them you're, I'm confident in your generosity. I told them you're going to be a generous church. You've moved past the selfishness of 1 Corinthians, and now you are fellow workers. You're um, helping in the ministry. I'm provoking you from the churches in Macedonia in the first part of chapter 8, and I'm going to send at least four uh, men who are trusted. They're godly leaders, and uh, what are these godly leaders like? Well, we know Titus, verse 16. He has the heart of, uh, the heart of Titus is the same, has the same earnest care that I have for you, verse 17. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest or eager to, to be going to you of his own accord. He's like, all right, Paul, you need someone to go to the Corinthians to deliver this message and to encourage them to give. Hey, send me, send me. Titus was the go-getter of the, of the group that's probably in this area of Macedonia uh, on a second, maybe third missionary journey. And so Paul needed someone to go. And he chose Titus. We've already seen Titus mentioned in chapter 7. Titus is also mentioned by name down in verse 23. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. Okay, so Titus is my partner, my fellow worker. He's got the same heart. So Titus is the leader because he is going to, he's going to care for these Corinthians with all of his heart, the same heart that Paul had that caused him to write 1 Corinthians in this painful letter and now 2 Corinthians. And there are godly leaders that you and I want to follow. And they have a heart for people. They want people, they want the best for people. They want people to please God. That is what you would see if we were to meet Titus today. That's what you would, he would be probably a younger man. He's got a book written to him, the book of Titus. Uh, and he is a companion of Paul and Silas and Luke and these other men that are mentioned here. And yet he's mentioned by name because of his same love and care for the ministry and in particular for these people, and he is going to provoke them to give. 
because Paul's provoking them to give. Now, Titus, we don't have him recorded as writing. We don't know what his speaking abilities are. But what he is is just a fellow, what's he called in verse 23? He is a partner, he's a fellow worker for your benefit. Titus is like someone who just shows up. I listened to a guy who is, um, he's got some physical um, impairments and he's used to, uh, on a podcast and to write, but he says of, his, of, of himself, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just showing up and I get asked to do stuff. And the stuff I get asked to do, I try to do my best. That's it. And I, I feel like I don't have, and the people that I know of, that I grew up with in my l- little local church in Western Pennsylvania, that was their story too. They didn't know what they were doing, but they just kept showing up. And you don't have to have all the answers. And I was challenged this week by uh, something else that we have a hard time remembering everything that we do know. And the older you get, the more you forget things that you should remember. And uh, as a Christian, and we commit the same sins, and we just keep getting frustrated. But God can use us. And God's using Titus here. He's a godly leader. And he's just showing up. He's just working. And he's working for the benefit of other people. And he's got this heart that is um, encouraging, influencing other people. So let, so he's telling the Corinthians, hey, I'm going to send you Titus. Why? Because he's going to care for you with all of his heart. Verse uh, 18. He's not only going to send Titus, he's going to send someone else. Verse 18. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. You know what we don't have about this famous preacher? A name. Because it's not important. There's speculation. It could be Apollos. It could be Peter. It could be someone who's said to be a more eloquent speaker. Um, But we don't know his name. Okay? What we do know about him, he is good at taking God's word and preaching it to all the churches. So he's either traveled with Paul or separate from Paul, encouraging the churches that Paul is establishing and helping them to grow. Uh, He is known for his preaching, verse 19. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. So the churches recognized this guy as a preacher and said, hey, this guy could travel with Paul. Hey, we're going to financially support this guy so that he can travel with Paul. He's a godly leader. So what is he known for? He's famous. He's known for what? Sharing God's truth. All right, there are godly leaders who have a huge heart and they're fellow workers. Um, and there are other godly leaders that they're known for being eloquent. They're really good preachers. Whenever someone shows up at church and this person is supposed to preach, everyone's anticipating, oh, we're going to get some really good preaching today. Because they're known for sharing God's truth. These are the guys today that have a lot of followers uh, on, um, online. Their videos get thousands, if not a million views. These guys, when they write the books, everybody buys them. And there's a few of these guys in Christianity today. Not many. But if I said I'm going to have a famous preacher come next 
Sunday. <laughs> and I, who is it? He's famous. He's going to come next Sunday. You're like, come on, tell me the name. We, we want to know the name. Okay, we don't have the name because he's not the leader. Why isn't he the leader? Because Titus is the leader. Titus has the same care. He is the fellow worker. He is going to have the same heart that Paul has for the Corinthians. He's going to display that. So this man is coming along and probably going to share God's truth along the way, probably going to have a chance to preach because he's known for this. But um, this man in preaching and what's going to encourage this man who's coming probably to preach is he's going to evaluate the love that these people have and to see if they are going to share financially um, with this group so that they can use this financial gift to help other churches. All right, so verses 18 and 19, a famous preacher who is going to share God's truth. Verse 20, we take this course so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. So what is what are godly leaders? And we're not told of a specific godly leader here, but overall, what Paul's thinking, what his heart is, what's driving him, what these other guys that are coming are going to have the same heart because they're carrying this letter uh, and to, to get this gift, they're going to please God and they're going to please others. Godly leaders please God and godly people. Uh, not themselves. They're not trying to build a big kingdom here. They're not trying to build big bank accounts. And when pastors get together, you know what we, we struggle to talk about? Bodies, buildings, and bucks. That's what we're told not, we have to guard ourselves as we, we gather with other pastors. And when I, I was going often to a national pastors fellowship, the number one question I get is, how big is your church? How big is your church? How many buildings do you have? How many people do you have? How much money in the bank? How are you in a building program? And they, when I tell them I'm from Massachusetts, oh. <laughs> That's what they say. Oh. You're not in the Bible Belt. You're not in a competition for 50 other godly churches for the same thousand people no no i'm in massachusetts oh it's really really blue right blue yeah 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 a lot of people need christ in massachusetts now we're just trying to please god and others this is where god wants us right so we serve with our heart here we share god's truth and we just want to please god that's what paul says here let's look at it again at, at the text we take this course so that no one should blame us for this generous gift. So don't blame us for telling, encouraging you to be generous. That is in being administered by us. So it's not for us. This gift isn't for us. It's for the saints that this passage says. So we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight. He's never going to leave the Lord out of it. It's just going to be about people. We aim at what is not only honorable to the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. If the church at Corinth is generously giving and the other Christians outside of Corinth, outside of Achaia, this area, 
start receiving money of people from people they don't even know. And their neighbors and friends, unsaved neighbors and friends, are watching these people struggle financially. They're believers. And these believers can say, you know what, I just got, let's say today's term, $1,000 from a generous um, church in Corinth. And you're in Thessalonica or somewhere far away. And they say, do you know these people? No, I've never met them. Have you been to that church? Nope, never been to Corinth. Why, are that, why is that church giving you money? Because they want to please the Lord. Who's the Lord? Why would anyone give this amount of money to you if they don't even know you? Because they want to please the Lord. And the more our culture goes away from the Lord, generous giving in order to please the Lord is so foreign to this culture. Why in the world would you give of your time and money to people that aren't, aren't in your family? Because we want to please the Lord. They want to please the Lord. Their aim is to do what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. And neighbors and friends and unsaved uh, people that are related and watching these uh, needy Christians receive money from Corinth are going to have a testimony of the Lord. Everyone knows that generosity is a good thing. Everyone knows that whenever someone gives someone else something that they were planning to use for themselves or for their future and their recipient, that is a good thing. The world says, our human nature says, that's a good thing. And now we have a reason to tell people why we are generously giving and for those who are receiving this, why they are uh, receiving from people they don't even know because of the Lord. Verse 22, and with them, now here's the uh, other person, I'm not sure his name either, and with him we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters. So this guy has the same word that earnest care back in verse 16. He is... um, Gener- or he is um, quick, he is uh, thorough, he's thoughtful. We found him, we've tested him, we found him earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. So he matches what Titus has heart, his heart is, what Paul's heart is, what this famous preacher's heart is, and now we've got this team of people that are going to receive a gift um, and this earnest, uh, this person who is being sent, he trusts other people. He trusts the Corinthians. That's why he wants to go. Look back at verse 22 again. He's more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. I have a tremendous trust in you, our church. I have great confidence in you. When there is a need, and if you know of people in our church that have a need, all we have to do is say, hey, there is a need. Someone is struggling. Someone's car broke down. Someone has a huge bill. Um, Please help us meet this need. And this church rises to the occasion. And when I came to this church, the leaders that were here told me this is this church's history of being generous in their giving. So I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, 
all right? If you're new to church, this is the kind of church you're coming to. You're coming to a church is generous. We don't have a lot of means, and when people come from outside our church and say, hey, can you help me with this need or that need? I'm like, well, we don't have huge deep pockets here. We have generous people here, um, and we are tr- learning to trust each other, but godly leaders trust other people. Paul, at this point, is not going to Corinth. He's sending Titus. He's sending a famous preacher. He's sending this third guy who has confidence, but Paul also has confidence. Paul is a trusting person to not go himself and to send other people. And hopefully you see this type of godliness in the leaders in our church. And I I pray that as we train the next generation of leaders, this is what makes good leaders right here. This isn't a how to train good leaders, but this is just what's what's showing up in this text of Scripture. Generosity comes from godly leaders and godly leaders provoking other people to follow their generosity because it's all about pleasing God who's making their aim to please the Lord. And so uh, when you see this in, uh, in young people, when you see this in newer believers, we encourage this. Uh, because this is what makes godly leaders in the church who can be sent out from here, who can be trained in here to serve and continue the ministry uh, when you and I are gone. So what's the final thing? Number five. Well, let's read verses 23b and 24. So after Titus is commended again, the second part of verse 23 says, And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches. Sent ones, I think he uses the word apostle, uh, which also can mean just sent. It depends on who is sent, so that everybody's not an apostle of Jesus Christ like the twelve or the apostle Paul. Uh, but these, and that's why the translators, translators of many uh, modern translations uh, use the word messenger instead of apostle, because that would be a little confusing. So messengers of the churches, and here's a wonderful phrase. The churches are called what at the end of verse 23? the glory of Christ. When you and I get a little glimpse throughout the New Testament of what the church, that that are people who are uh, turned from their sin, trust Christ alone. Sitting here in this church doesn't make you part of our church. We're glad you're here. When When you and I turn from our sin, trust Christ alone, then we're part of the universal church around the world. But all these local churches, part of the universal church, We are all called here the glory of Christ. Whoa! We can be part of the glory of Christ. Yes, and what a high calling. There are no other parachurch groups in the New Testament that are called the glory of Christ. Schools, camps, other ministries, mission boards, nope, they do not have this title, glory of Christ. And Christ promised to build his church, and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. We are part of a local church, and our church is part of the glory of Christ. Wow. (laughs) This gives us, elevates what our mission is. We're showing people what Jesus Christ's glory is like. You can compare this with 2 Corinthians 3.18 and other passages we've already seen about the glory of Christ. So he says, based on 
who I'm sending and who you are, verse 24, so give proof before the churches who are the glory of Christ. Give proof of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So godly leaders are sent by the churches who are Christ's glory. And this whole section is about let, let godly leaders see your love. This section is written not to leaders, but to the church. If, the, if godly leaders don't see that the church is generous and the confidence is misplaced confidence, and look at the opposite of verse 24, they don't have love, and their boasting in the Corinthian church was in vain because they weren't a generous church. They were hoarding, they were a wealthy church compared to other churches, and they weren't willing to share financially with other believers then it would be a pretty discouraging trip. But we're anticipating all the buildup of this trip. It's going to be pretty exciting. That this church is going to be strengthened in their giving. Other believers in other parts of the Roman Empire are going to be the recipients of the Corinthians funds. And the connection of all these churches um, are these, uh, this group that sent Paul writing. Uh, the unity of the church is strengthened as we give generously. Now, expect to see God's love for you. Generous giving is motivated not just by godly leaders coming and provoking us and how they live and uh, us um, wanting to show our love for the Lord um, and uh, their confidence is well-placed confidence. But verse uh, 1 of chapter 9, now it is superfluous, or it's not necessary for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness. He's going to use the word ready, 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 readiness over and over again. So there's an expectation here uh, of being ready. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia. That's the, um, the group north of Achaia. Achaia is the, it's kind of like a state. Macedonia is a state of which Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi are part of Macedonia. Achaia has Athens and Corinth, bigger uh, cities in the south part of Greece, Macedonia in the north part of Greece today, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. So uh, Corinthians is part of this group of uh, Achaia, province of Achaia, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Okay, so the Macedonians were used back in earlier part of chapter 8 to provoke the Corinthians in the second letter, letter. But while Paul was in Macedonia on a trip, he uses the Corinthians as a positive. So he's, he's using these churches to provoke each other. Now, these churches don't have a lot of connection to each other because it's harder to travel them, other than a few merchants that probably travel through and maybe uh, government leaders, uh, maybe military people. But you usually, in, in Bible times, you would live and grow up and die, vacation, everything in a, <laughs> in a location. Very few people traveled. Uh, like we do today. It's a very uh, stable uh, culture that we didn't, didn't travel a lot. So Paul, is, Paul is, and these other people mentioned in chapter 8 are the connection to these churches, connecting these churches together, uh, mentioning needs and those who have to give to those who have need. And so Paul says, okay, I used you as an example to the Macedonians, and they are provoked to be generous in their giving. And now he's going to flip it and say, okay, now you have, uh, now you're going to be generous and help other 
other believers. That's the saints. Uh, verse, um, verse 3, but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. So he, he uses boasting in verse 24 of chapter 8, and now in verse, um, we're in Second uh, Corinthians 9, 4, um, that you may be ready as I said you would be. Okay, so I'm, I know you're going to be ready. I'm going to send these guys. I'm just going to tell you <laughs> to be ready. Verse 4, otherwise, if some of the Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, uh, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you because they would be humiliated as well uh, for being so confident. He knows uh, that the Corinthians have grown um, and their confidence, and he uses confidence. He sends other people who have confidence in them, like Titus and this other guy in verse 22 of chapter 8. So there are godly leaders. They have confidence that the Corinthians are going to come through uh, for uh, generous giving. Verse 5, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised. So he sends these uh, three guys at least uh, ahead of him to arrange in advance for this gift so that they're, they're ready, they're confident in you, um, and it takes time to uh, save uh, money and to keep it ready to give so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction or that you've got to um, expecting something in return. The Greek word there is a greedy way of taking, taking money, not, not as a willing gift. So what do we, what do we see here in, uh, in verses 1 through 5? Expecting to see God's love for you and expecting uh, to give generously. There is a lot of teaching in chapter 9 about generous giving. And I think I could summarize generous giving is giving in verse 5. Be ready as a willing gift. Now, if Paul writes and he sends people and there are people that are unwilling in the church to give. No, we can't give. No, I'm not. I'm not willing. And there's a generous spirit in a few people in the church, and it starts growing because it's not instant. We're not going to have one Sunday, Paul writes the letter, he sends the people, and the offering happens all at one time. No, there's a time for generosity, the spirit of generosity, to grow in this church of all of the process here. And so it starts with the will. It starts with you being willing. So I'm going to ask you, and are you going to ask other people, are you and I willing to be generous givers? I can't make you willing. Now, we could force, we could get the strongest people in our church to, <laughs> to, to bend your arm behind your back and empty your wallet out every, every Sunday at the offering box. That doesn't happen. Well, <laughs> you wouldn't want to come back. <laughs> like, okay, we don't do that because we expect giving to be from the will, that you, it's a willing gift. It's not, we, we got to have this money, and other people need your money. No, that's not how this letter's coming across. So God loves the cheerful giver, and a cheerful giver starts with being ready to give from your will. Giving is from the will. All right, and I, you got to ask yourself, am I willing to give generously to the Lord's work or to other people who need, other believers who need, have a need financially. And if you can't financially give, you have time um, and other resources, energy that you can give. Are you, 
Are you willing to serve someone else, expecting nothing in return, just to give of yourself for other people? Verse 6, more teaching about giving. The point is this. Um, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Referring to the Old Testament, Proverbs 11 and 22 and Malachi 3 and the verse that we saw on the last slide, Luke 6, 38, Jesus teaching, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Jesus teaching on giving, the Old Testament teaching on giving. You see someone who has a need, don't hide your face, but open your hand and give to those who have need. So giving doesn't just stop with the will. Yes, I'm willing to give. Okay, verse 6 teaches us what? Giving also influences the mind. Okay, am I going to sow sparingly? I'll also reap sparingly. I'll just give a very little amount. Have you ever had this conversation with God? God, what's the minimum amount I can give? (laughs) What's the minimum amount I can give and still get blessing from you? Have you ever tried that with your spouse? Honey, what's the smallest diamond that I can give you? And you'll say yes when I say, will you marry me? Honey, what's the smallest amount I can give you under the Christmas tree and you'll still be happily married to me? Kids, what is the smallest amount? What's the smallest toy? That You guys are laughing. You know why you're laughing? Because it doesn't work with people. God's a person. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our resources. And if you can't fool someone about your love and shooting for the minimum, you're not fooling God who you're trying to please right in this book. It's all about pleasing him with shooting at minimums. God, what's the minimum amount I can put in the offering every Sunday? Giving if, <laughs> this way has to influence our mind. What kind of renewed mind do we need to have? Well, verse 6 tells us, Whoever spares, sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, we don't have a lot of sowing and reaping in our culture because we go to the grocery store and we buy stuff that other people have sowed and reaped. He uses an agricultural analogy that parallels what the Old Testament says about giving. But we know, we know what he's trying to get at here. We want to sow uh, in a way that um, we're showing the glory of God, expecting a harvest, expecting God to multiply what we put in the ground. When you put one kernel of corn in the ground, you don't expect one kernel to grow. You expect ears of corn to grow. And we sow in a different time than we reap, but we also sow more than what we reap. And so open your heart, open your mind to think this way. If you feel, and I know Ebenezer Scrooge gets a bad rap, and he should, but you as Christians have no reason to think like him because we have, we'll see in this passage later in verse 8, 
It's up here on the screen. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Okay, when you give things away, when you give of your time and your energy and your finances, you will find you're investing in people, and that's way better than hoarding. You say, but I'll have less. No, you're sowing. You're planting. You're expecting something in return. God is the one who is the Lord of the harvest. He sees what you're doing. He also sees if you're willing or not. If you're not willing, go back to verses 1 to 5. Okay, because I can't make you willing. Okay, now verse, so we've got to get our notes here. So from the mind, giving from the mind. Now verse 7, a verse that you probably know. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now at Christmas time, when your kids open their presents, you don't cry saying, oh man, what a waste of money I just... I just spent all this money on these kids and now they're tearing the wrapping paper and they're using these toys and they're breaking and you're crying because you're, you've wasted your money on your children or your grandchildren. We don't think that way. Why? Because we're cheerful givers. It is so exciting to be giving and to, to see someone open a present that they absolutely love. And you're like, oh, Wow, knocked it out of the park with this one. And we feel good about ourselves because it's fun to give. But where does giving influence in verse 7 here? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So it involves the will, involves the mind, and goes back to the heart. Giving from the heart. How are we not supposed to give? We know this reluctantly like okay here honey is this ring oh man it cost me a lot of money ah oh, what a lot of money that is on her finger now if i thought that way for the 12 months i was engaged i would not have a very good engagement period because i gave reluctantly do you know how much money college students make and how much I could have done with that money. Oh. And all the regret that, oh, I don't know if you do this, but when you get the end of your giving statement next month, you look at that and like, oh man, if I wouldn't have given to the church, I could have fill in the blank. And there's a little bit of, in, the, in our flesh, reluctant like, oh man, man. <laughs> People that don't go to church and don't give, they have more money. <laughs> you think that way. But wait, what's God say not to give like from our heart? We decide our will has already been, uh, been conquered. Our mind is starting to think like verse 6. And now our heart is coming along and saying, you know what? I'm not going to give to the Lord reluctantly or to other people. Reluctantly or under compulsion, like I have to give. Like if I don't give, something bad's going to happen. God's going to get me. No, God's not in the mafia. He doesn't hire the angels or tell them to do his dirty work at night. 
in a dark alleyway. And you may think this, and I've heard Christians say this, something's going to bad's going to happen to my car, to my house, my appliances, if I don't give. Okay, d- don't give then. Okay? Because we're said here, this isn't cheerful giving. Like, God, I'm going to give this to you, but <laughs> you got to make sure my stuff doesn't break. This isn't giving that pleases God. The will is, is involved. The mind is involved. The heart is involved. And the heart is not, we do not, we're not listening to our deceitful heart, that it is not worth giving to other people. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I work really hard and I have money and I watch people that don't work hard and they don't have money, I'm like, duh, get a job, right? I'm working really hard and I have money and you don't have money, so you need to get a job. Now, we can't always think that way because there are people that work really hard and they've got a lot of other issues, medical needs and other things that they just can't earn enough money to pay, pay their bills. Or they've got on the end of life and they don't have the resources that they did. Um, and that for, and they, they haven't been poor stewards. It's been a lot of reasons why people don't have um, the funds. So when we give, it's not reluctantly or like, I have to. If I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. That is not how to give. We have to examine our hearts. If your heart is reluctant or feel like you have to, <laughs> don't give. All right, if you come to visit me and you're like, well, Pastor, I have to come visit you. Or I don't really want to be here, but I'll come see you anyway. If I came to see you and I said that, you'd be like, what are you wasting your time for? This isn't building a relationship. It's hurting our relationship. Same with the Lord. When you give from a heart that is reluctant, or under compulsion, you're not, um, you're not pleasing him, and you're not growing in a close relationship with him. Look at the end of verse 7. For God loves, that's the word agape, self-sacrificing. God loves a cheerful giver. You know what it doesn't say? God loves cheerful giving. The focus is toward the giver. So in this pleasing God book, what pleases a God who can be pleased? Cheerful giving. From a heart, from a mind, from a will. That all just wants to please God. And when we give this way, and this is only for believers, this is only for those who aren't uh, giving just to, so God will give them the mansion and the boat and the plane and all the relationships that are perfect, and everything else. Nothing breaks. No, verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. If you give, like that widow with the two mites that I said uh, previously in a message, there is no way that God let her go and starve that night. Or the next day she didn't have money for food. Or the next day. There is some way. We know, we know God is not like this. When you give him your two mites, he's going to say, thank you. Hope, you. hope you can figure out life now without that. That was all you're living. That is not our God. God has all the resources of the universe. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if his children are generously 
cheerful givers, sowing bountifully, expecting a bountiful harvest. That's this passage, and God is able to make, so you should know verse 8 as much as you know verse 7, and if you don't know verse 8, memorize it this week. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency, and that word has the idea of uh, contentment, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. How many superlatives are in this sentence? All, 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 every, abound. God's trying to get our attention. What is it that's going to abound in every single circumstance? It is God's grace. Not just his grace, all grace. If you and I need something, God is able to bring dump truck loads full of grace to your house. Drop it in your yard. It's happened. It's happened more than once. It's happened more than five times that I can think of since I've been here in 12 years. That God has been generous to us. My wife and I, individually, financially. Over and over again. And you know what I struggle with? You know what I still struggle with? End of the year, I get that giving statement. And I look, oh man, I, oh man if I wouldn't have been generous, <laughs> if I wouldn't have given that, all this money to church, I could fill in the blank. And I give a little bit reluctantly the next Sunday. Uh, nope, can't think this way. We struggle with our flesh. In heaven, we won't struggle. Uh, but until then, we struggle with our will, and we want to give our mind to think this way, our heart to be cheerful, and then realizing that our God is able He's willing. At the end of verse 7, God loves the cheerful giver. Those who give this way, God loves you. His love is directed toward you. And if you have a need, God is able to make all his grace abound to you. So that you having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. All we are are channels. And if the channel dries up, we get more grace from God. And as we get more grace from God, we disperse it to those who have need. This is Christian ministry, and this is the wonderful life. Better than the movie, Wonderful Life. This is the Christian life. This is the generous Christian life, where we're generously giving from a heart, from a mind, from a will that wants to please God. And God's bringing us people that have needs, and he's providing um, our needs so that we're able to give to others, and we're experiencing God's grace, and it's abounding to us. And we're so content with the little things because we want to give away extra to other people. You shop differently when God is able to make all grace abound to you. We look differently at our giving statements. We... Love the Lord our God. Application. We're going toward verse 15. Thanks be to God for his 
gift too wonderful for words. That's 2 Corinthians 9.15. Lord willing, we'll end our year in 2 Corinthians from, from that. Write down in your life who influenced your gracious giving. There are people that have influenced you. You can write them a note this week. You can thank them in an email or a text. Um, but there are people, if, if you're a gracious giver or you want to be, there are people in our church that I can recommend that you hang out with them, that you talk to them, you ask them questions. You'll discern that like Titus, like the famous preacher, like this other guy, like Paul, that these people are willing, thoughtful, heart givers. And God's word has influenced their giving, and now they're being used to influence other people's giving. Meditate on all the alls. I read it. We don't have time to look at verse 8 in more detail. How does that motivate gracious giving? And I'll encourage you to memorize it so you can meditate on it day and night. And then keep meditating on Christ becoming poor so that we would become rich. I'll close with one story from the life of Christ. We're studying the word slave. In the night that Jesus is arrested, Jesus lays aside his garment that would distinguish him from slaves and takes on him the garment of a slave, the towel, and begins to wash his disciples' feet. And Peter, knowing what Jesus is doing, you're not touching my feet you are not the slave here and Jesus is giving them an example when we think of ourselves as slaves of a wonderful master gracious giving is just following his example let's pray our father show us who you want us to minister to this week Thank you for godly leaders that have influenced us, that um, we can prove our love for you by generously giving. And thank you for the teaching that you give us in 2 Corinthians to teach us how to be gracious givers. Help us to be willing to be gracious givers and to follow your example. Help us to be willing to deny ourselves and die to self and take up our cross daily. Help us to be willing to lay aside our garments and take the towel of a slave and serve other people. I pray that uh, you would help us to meditate on your ability to make all grace abound to us so that we, in all sufficiency with all things, would be able to abound to every good work. Help us to show people where your grace is. Help us to be changed by your grace. Help us to be channels of your grace. I was to be so content in the process for what you have given us and not have allowed us to have. Thank you for your grace. It really is all about you. Help our giving this week to please you. In Jesus' name, amen.